Welcome to Mark Connor's podcast. For more information, visit markconnor.com.au. Father, it's been good to just stop and pause from the, the busyness of our week and our lives and just to come and gather together with people who know you or are seeking you today. As Judd said, uh, we live in a world that just kind of uh, gets into the consuming mode. And Lord, we, we are here to receive from you, but we do want to give you our worship and praise today. Uh, Father, as we were worshiping today uh, and that line about just restoring broken hearts, uh, I did sense some pain in the room. And so I just pray for people right now that are in pain physically, that you would just heal them and strengthen them. I, I felt that there were some people just with pain in their emotional world today, feeling like their hearts maybe been broken through disappointment or someone who's hurt them deeply. Lord, today, would you transform that pain so we don't transmit it out to other people? Could you just transform that pain? Bring, bring healing, bring grace today even in these few moments today. For those that are hurting, you're a God who's near for us. And I pray as we uh, open your word today, thank you that the Bible is alive. It's living. The same spirit who inspired the words years ago is here to bring it alive to us today. And I'm really glad that you're going to speak and do some great things in our meeting today. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. 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 Uh, today we're continue, continuing our series. Uh, and the name of the series is called Mars Hill. Not Mars. That, that's a planet that I hear is a pretty cool place in our solar system. Not Mars Bar. Anyone like Mars Bars? Almost as good as Snickers Bars. Uh, No, we're talking about Mars Hill. And Mars Hill is uh, this place that Paul spent some time in, in the ancient city of Athens in ancient Greece. And decided a great job kicking off the series, talking about how today when we think about our culture, followers of Christ take one of three approaches. They either just seek to escape from the big bad world, or they uncritically embrace the culture, or we can learn from Paul and learn to engage with our culture. And that's what we believe we're to do as a church. And so we've been talking about engaging culture. Uh, we had uh, uh, Ern McManus with us giving a great message about the fact that we are works of art and artists in our world, engaging through the various spheres of society. And then last weekend, Kim Hammond gave a great message about finding your Mars Hill and about how God's called us all as we're going to our various places in our city this week uh, to realize that God's already there and he wants us to join with him. So if you're missing those messages, you can listen listen to them on our podcast. In fact, today I I was in Whittlesey last week, so I missed Kim's message. So I was listening to Kim on my phone today with my headphones while I was out washing my car. In fact, I I got so much in the message, I washed my car, I washed Nicole's car, I washed Natasha's car, and my neighbor dropped over and said, could I bring my cars? I said, sorry, mate, I'm, I'm running a little late. So it's right, I'm seeing him tomorrow. We had a bit of a joke about it. But seriously, all the messages are available on the website. If you miss one of them, they're there for your benefit. So have a listen in your own time. Today we're going to turn to Acts 17. Surprise, surprise. Acts 17, and I'm going to read verses 16 to 21. While Paul was waiting for them, that's his team members, in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? 
others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was talking about the good news of Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him, notice those words, then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, we want to know this new teaching. What is it that you are presenting? You're bringing some strange ideas to our ears and we want to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Then it goes on and we have a record of Paul's speech at the Areopagus. I want to make an observation today that uh, Paul spends time in three places, three environments, three spaces. We have the synagogue. Everyone say synagogue. Synagogue. We then have the marketplace. Everyone say the marketplace. And then we have this third space called the Areopagus. How about we try that one? Areopagus, which is a, a, another name for Mars Hill. Have you ever been to uh, Athens, Greece? There's the big Acropolis up the top, and then just at the lower areas, there's the Agora or the marketplace where people would buy and sell. And then there's this kind of rocky hill where the philosophers used to gather. And you couldn't just go there. You had to be invited there. And so Paul spends time in the synagogue, time in the marketplace, and time in this third space, this Mars Hill environment. And I think in many ways, these three spaces speak to our world today. Let's talk about the synagogue. The synagogue was a place where people who believed in God gathered. We have Jews. We have God-fearing Greeks. And as they gathered, they had some things in common. They all believed in God. They had a common language. They all knew the Old Testament scriptures. And so if you look at Paul's speeches in the book of Acts in the synagogue, he's talking about David. He's talking about Moses. He's talking about the Messiah. They have a common language, a common belief system. There's a common ground. Everyone in the synagogue wants to be there because they either know the same God or they're inquiring about that God. In many ways, the synagogue can refer to when the church gathers like we are here today or or a Christian organization, a Christian school. When we gather with other believers or inquirers, we we all know a similar language. We can talk about the Holy Spirit. We can talk about worship. We can say, let's turn in our Bibles. We have some things in common. This is a place where we believe similar things or we're open to knowing about Jesus. The synagogue in many ways refers to the church gathered. Then we have the marketplace. Paul spent some time out in the marketplace. In the marketplace, it's very different than the synagogue. This is where people do life. They're doing their work. They're buying, they're selling, they're trading. And in the marketplace, there's not a common language or a common faith. In fact, there are many faiths. There are many beliefs. And if you start talking about Moses or David, how many people are going, Who? You got a cousin named David, or you know, uh, people don't know the scriptures here. People don't have the same faith that you may have in the marketplace. And in many ways, today, this marketplace refers to where many of us do our life throughout the week. It's where we go to school, we go to university, in your neighborhood. There are Muslims, there are Hindus, there are people who don't believe in God. When you go to your workplace, most of us spend the majority of our life in the marketplace. And like Paul, we've got to learn to live out our faith in that space. And then there's this third space, the Areopagus or Mars Hill. And you don't just go there, you have to be invited there. And when we make an impact in the marketplace, often people want to know more. And so they invite us in to other spaces. And it's interesting when Paul talks in the marketplace and talks in Mars Hill, you know, he never once quotes a Bible verse. 
He never says, let's turn to the book of Isaiah. You're very quiet. (laughs) He never once talks about David or Abraham because they they don't have that common language. He he, he never refers to scriptures directly. But you know that his speech is full of a biblical worldview. Talks about creation and God and our longings. And he ends up talking about Jesus. And so Paul's giving us an example of how we've got to learn to communicate in our marketplace, in our Mars Hill, in a way that connects where people are who may have never been to the synagogue. We're doing all right today. And so these spaces provide some really interesting insights for us. And uh, although Paul's angry at their idolatry, he commends them for their spirituality, starts where they, are, where they are and begins talking to them eventually about Jesus. Last weekend, I, I spoke at our Sunday at five and uh, we have a, a one hour service every Sunday at five o'clock and uh, I shared those thoughts last week. And then we had some Q&A and we had some really good interaction because this idea of Three spaces, synagogue, marketplace, and Aeropagus or Mars Hill, uh, invites some really interesting questions. Like, like, what kind of a person could you invite to the synagogue? Ever thought about that? Uh, What are the kinds of people you could invite to church, to a meeting like this? I, I keep some invite cards with me all the time. And uh, if I'm at a restaurant, you know, if I find someone who's maybe had a little bit of background with church or maybe someone who used to go to church but doesn't now or someone who's got questions, I'll often give them a card and say, hey, come, come visit us at City Life sometime. There's a certain type of person that you could invite to church, to the synagogue because they're inquiring, they're interested. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, we all have people like that. How many have people in your world that you'd never invite to church? Come on, you can see some of their faces. It's not that you wouldn't want them here, but they probably wouldn't want to be here. Are you with me? They they maybe had a bad experience. Maybe they're really negative. I was sitting by a guy on the plane just a few weeks ago and started talking about who we are and what we do. And uh, when he heard I was involved in a church, he was really angry. Um, He'd he'd grown up as a Catholic and he just wanted to talk about the commission and these abusive priests. And so I didn't break out my invite card (laughs) just at that moment. Uh, you know, I had a little work to do. And so we had a really good chat. And I said, you know, it's really sad that sometimes those who carry the name of Christ do things that don't represent Jesus well. That must sadden the heart of Jesus. I said, it's not just Catholics, it's other church leaders too. But I ended up saying, you know, you know there's a lot of church leaders, including Catholic priests, who represent Jesus really well do some amazing things in our community, started talking about our community care. Yeah, so we had a great conversation, but he wasn't ready to invite to church. You're following with me? And so these spaces uh, give us some thoughts about as we meet with people, where are they at? How can we relate to them? And then what does it look like in this second space to live my faith? And people don't maybe know the Bible. They don't have a background. How can I connect with them? And how can I live my life in this second space so that I will get some third space opportunities where people go, I want to know more. <laughs> what is it about you? Uh, a couple of great examples. Um, many of you heard of John Maxwell. Uh, John Maxwell pastored a church in California for many years. He was actually a very successful pastor in the synagogue. He felt a call to leave pastoring a church and to go work in the business world. And so John Maxwell, if you go into any bookshop today, he's written dozens of books on leadership. If you read the books, there's no Bible verses in there. They're they're books on leadership and he's succeeded in the marketplace. And if you hear him talk about that, he now goes into Fortune 500 uh, companies. I mean, he's an in-demand person on leadership. And he tells this story. He says, every time I speak on leadership, by the end of the day, people are blown away. And I have a Q&A time and someone will always say, where did you learn all this stuff? 
And he goes, you don't want to know. And then he'll move on. <laughs> and they'll ask the question. Someone else said, where did you learn all this stuff? He says, you, you don't want to know. And then he'll go on and he'll do some other. And then eventually, where did you learn all this stuff? He says, you don't want to know. And then he'll say, everything I learned about leadership, I learned from the Bible. And when this seminar's done, I'm going to be over in the corner there. If you want to hear a little bit more about my faith, I'll see you afterwards. You know, he says he's, learned, he's led more people to faith in Jesus in the marketplace than he ever did in the synagogue. Wow, wow. But you know what? He got criticized for leaving the ministry and going to the business world. What does it look like to do so well in the marketplace that we get invited into places we would never get invited? Uh, Judd's leading tonight. I love Judd. Grew up together. And uh, Judd leads the Melbourne Gospel Choir. And they are phenomenal. You see them on uh, carols by candlelight. They've done so well just in singing with excellence. You wouldn't believe the places they've been invited into where you could never go, I want to go to that party, I want to go see that group. The conversations, the place they've been invited into, not just because they just sing in the synagogue, but because they've excelled in their marketplace. What does it look like for you to... Excel where God's placed you so that you get some invite. Hey, can we hear some more? It's a good question for us to ask. In today's message, I want to talk about the marketplace, this second space. You know, we spend most of our life at work. Probably 50% of our waking hours are in the workplace. And uh, everyone works. We may not all get paid, but we all work. If you don't have a job, hopefully you're looking for a job. Our retirees, you know, they work. Yeah, they do. They work. Uh, how many know stay-at-home mums and dads actually work too? I sometimes would get home when Nicole uh, had our three kids all at home, and I'd say, what'd you do today? And she said, looked after your kids. <laughs> Is that all? Looked after your kids. Everyone works. You may not all get paid, but we all work. And we spend a lot of our time in the workplace. And God himself is a worker. He created us to work. He gives dignity to our work. Uh, Unfortunately, I think over the centuries, we've developed almost a dualism that says what happens in the synagogue is sacred. And what happens outside the synagogue is secular. Sometimes I hear a person say, oh, I've got a secular job. I often say, what do you mean? You mean God's not interested in your work? You mean there's nothing spiritual about your work? You know, it's actually a lie to believe that the synagogue is sacred and everything else is secular. As if God lives in the synagogue and he's going to be waiting here next Saturday at four, hoping you'll come back and visit him because he's been lonely all week. The truth is, when you leave here today, wherever you go this week, God is already there. In fact, you know, Paul's speech in Mars Hill with all the philosophers, he says, God is not far from any one of us. You ever heard the phrase, oh, they're really far from God? You know, it's untheological. Paul out on Mars Hill says, God's not far from any one of you. He's actually really close to you. You just don't know it yet. So we're going to break this dualism that thinks the synagogue's sacred, but all the stuff we do in the week, oh, that's secular. No, no. Uh, Listen to this scripture in Colossians 3 verse 17. Whatever you do, everyone say whatever. whatever. That's pretty big, isn't it? Whatever you do in word or deed, speaking or doing, do it all. Everyone say all. 
do it all in the name of or as the representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Imagine if we could see that everything we do is sacred. Everything we do is spiritual and is done in the presence of and representing God wherever we are. What a difference that would make in our daily world. And so let's talk a bit about the marketplace. A couple of years ago, we gave a series on work, and uh, when I repeat a few things from that, I realize there's new people, people that were away, people that are, were here, but you've forgotten it, people were here, you remembered it, but you haven't done anything about it, and others that just need a reminder like me, all right? So I want to share just very briefly what I would call a theology of work. A philosophy of work. Why do we work? Why do we go into the marketplace? And number one is to glorify God. To glorify God. First Corinthians 10.31, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Just think about that. Think about what you do during the week and ask yourself, how can I do this to the glory of God? To actually attract people to God. To represent God. To please God. I love the story of Michelangelo. He was a, an artist and one day he was painting uh, up, up on a scaffold and he was spending hours in this area that no one would see. And someone said, Michelangelo, no, no one's going to see that. Why are you spending so much time there? And without hesitating, he says, God will see. God will see. Imagine if as we went about our work, we realized I'm doing this to the glory of God. I'm doing this to the glory of God. How would that shape how we go about our daily work as we uh, serve God? You know, some of us, as we go to work this week, we may be the only Bible that people will ever read. They're reading us all the time. They're watching us to do what we do to the glory of God. Number two, uh, business and work exist to serve people. Every business, every job ultimately exists to add value to people's lives. You're bringing a service, a product. You could be a mum or a dad. You're looking after a child. Uh, Imagine what would happen in our world if everything shut down today. Your mobile phone contract just ended right then. You can't call anybody. The cafes are closed. The restaurants are closed. All the stoplights stop working. The police stop working. There's no school on Monday. Some of you are excited about that. Just imagine if everyone stopped serving. The whole of society would fall apart because every business, every enterprise exists to add value to people's lives. And so your work is one way to love your neighbor. It's one way to love your neighbor. Thirdly, work exists to provide a meaningful contribution. It's an outlet for your skills and your abilities and your creative energies. Uh, Sociologist uh, Hugh Mackay says every human being has been created with a desire to be useful. Uh, How many want to be useless? Haven't met anyone that says, yes, please pray for me. I want to be useless. Every one of us want to be useful. We want to feel like we're making a contribution. Your job actually provides an opportunity for you to add value to people's lives. And that's why we're encouraged to work as unto the Lord. And then number four is to generate wealth. Some of you are saying, where's the money? Here's the money. It's, it's last. But as we work, we exchange for a service or goods. We receive income. And that enables enables us to meet our needs and our family and enough to give away. Have you noticed that God links work with the acquisition of wealth so that we gain the character to handle our money well? That's why the Bible talks so much against gambling. Um, Gambling, unfortunately, uh, doesn't link those two things together. And have you read the stories of people who win Tats Lotto and then a few years later it's all gone again? 
and, and, and so gambling's not the way God wants us to get money. In fact, just a little tip, you're, you're about one in seven million is the chances of winning the lottery. And if you look at the stats, you're actually more likely to hit, be hit by lightning than to win the lottery. Just to encourage you today. No, no, no. God links hard work with the acquisition of wealth so that we have the maturity to look after those uh, riches well. And so just on those few thoughts there about your job, how are you viewing your job this week? Is it just something to get through to get to the weekend? Or are you seeing your job as part of God's calling? Are you seeing your marketplace involvement as God positioning you to do something that's meaningful? You know, some of us here today actually may not need a new job. Maybe we need a new perspective on the job we already have. How do you see your job? Do you see your job as bringing glory to God? What would it look like for you to go to your work or to do what you're doing at home and realize that you're adding value, adding service, that you're using your gifts and that you're bringing pleasure to God? Of course, we all know there's more to life than work. I'm not suggesting that uh, work is everything. We need to balance life with other areas of our life, family and church and our faith. I've got to keep all of this in balance. I don't believe God's called us to be workaholics. Uh, in fact, I've got a little test here just for you this afternoon. Just going to give you 10 questions. And at the end of these 10 questions, you'll know whether you're a workaholic or not. Number one, are you always in a hurry? Don't put that up yet, guys. Not yet, not yet, not yet. Are you always in a hurry? Notice how slow I read that sentence. (laughs) Number two, does your to-do list always have more on it than you could possibly accomplish in a single day? Just look straight ahead. Number three, does doing nothing drive you up the wall? Number four, do you find it difficult to say no to new opportunities? Number five, do you feel guilty when you relax? Number six, do you frequently find it difficult to turn your mind off at night when you go to bed? Number seven, do you have other people tell you you ought to slow down? Number eight, do you procrastinate about taking holidays? No elbows. Number nine, do you have to get sick to slow down? And number 10, if you answer yes to this question, you are a certified confirmed alcoholic. Do you ever take business-related reading material into the toilet with you? Now, if you answered yes to any of those questions, work may be becoming too much in your life. In fact, we had our media crew this week go out and take a few photos of certified workaholics. They're coming up now. And so apologies if we caught you somewhere. Uh, On the left, we have a woman that's a little behind on her paperwork. Or maybe she's actually creating all that work. In the middle, we've got a guy on an island. And guess what? He's got his mobile and he's got his briefcase. And the person to the right probably stayed in the office a little too long. So we're not talking about being workaholics. We're talking about seeing the marketplace as part of God's purpose and us joining his work there. And so that means how we go about our work really matters. Let me just give you a couple of thoughts on how we go about our work during the week. Number one is to be diligent, to be diligent. Colossians 3, 23 to 24, Paul says, work diligently at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than people. If the marketplace is sacred, then how I go about my work really matters. And one way is simply to be diligent, to work as to the Lord. How many know if Jesus himself said, hey, could you come and vacuum this room for me? What kind of a vacuuming job would you do? 
Come on, you're very quiet. If Jesus said, could you prepare a budget for me? If Jesus said, hey, can you, can you do this? Just think of the task that you're doing. Paul's saying, do it as if you were doing it for the Lord. What an impact that would have if we just simply worked as to the Lord, being diligent, uh, working at it with all of our heart. Could be simply punctuality, could be doing a little bit more than is expected, uh, giving 100%. Don't be, don't be like that person who says, I always give 100% at work, 12% on Monday, 23% on Tuesday, 40% on Wednesday, 20% on Thursday, and 5% on Friday. <laughs> Nah, being diligent, giving our very, very best. Number two is to be a person of integrity. Uh, Paul goes on and actually says, uh, you know, obey your masters. He's talking about slaves in that context. Try to please them all the time, not just when they're watching you. That's a good line, isn't it? Uh, Integrity is that honesty, not lying, not cheating, not uh, working for as little as we can, for as much as we can. No, being a person of integrity. Uh, Number three is to be loved. Paul goes on and says, live wisely among those who are not believers. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation, your words be gracious and attractive. And so as we go about our work, we want to be diligent. We want to be people of integrity. We want to be loving people. You know, uh, Daniel Goldman's done a lot of study on the workplace. I don't believe he's a follower of Christ, but he's actually asked the question, what leads to success in the workplace? And he's discovered that there is IQ, your intelligence. There are your technical skills, your ability, and then there's something called EQ, emotional quotient, your ability to get along with people. He says in the workplace, EQ is twice as important as the other things. You can be incredibly intelligent and incredibly talented, but if you don't get along with people, if you don't control your moods and relate well to a wide variety of people, you will not be successful in the workplace. Jesus probably could have told him all of that if he would have read the Bible. Because have you noticed how much Jesus worked on his disciples on emotional intelligence? Just getting on with people? And so for us as followers of Christ, be intelligent, be talented, but our ability to love people and watch our moods and not just spread them onto other people. I've used the funny example before. It could be as simple as you're in your office on your computer and an email comes and and, and you're really angry at this person who's just emailed you and someone knocks at the door and you go, what? (laughs) How many know you've just taken all that anger and emotion and dumped it on that person on the door? How many know they'll probably think twice before knocking on your door again? No, an emotionally intelligent person is reading this email and you do feel angry, but when someone knocks on the door, you go, yes, can I help you? You draw a line between this email and this person who has nothing to do with the email. You with me? This, this could get you a raise. This could get you a promotion. I'm trying to help you here today. It's as simple as that. Just being a person who thinks about their moods and their ability to get along with other people. A good question to ask yourself if you're employed here today is, if your job was advertised tomorrow, would you get it again? It's a good question, isn't it? Would you get your job if it was advertised tomorrow? You know, you know when Paul left Ephesus, uh, he was there for three years. And uh, when he left, uh, everyone wept. If you left your workplace, would there be tears? I'm not talking about tears of joy. Would there be tears? 
They wept because Paul had loved them. He had worked diligently. He had been a person. All those things. They were sad he was going. You know, I believe as followers of Christ, we should be the best employees and employers. We should represent Christ really well in this marketplace area. And then number four is to be a witness for Jesus. And you know, qualities like diligence, integrity, and love usually lead to opportunities to share our faith. Paul goes on, pray, live, pray and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so you'll have the right response for everyone. To live an attractive life in the marketplace and then to be ready for those opportunities. What did you do on the weekend? Uh, t- tell me, tell me something different about you. To be able to give that answer for the reason of the hope that we have. Uh, again, Paul started with this understanding that God wasn't far from anybody. And uh, he was there to hopefully help them awaken to God. I love the concept of waking up. I think conversion is like waking up. And some of us have an alarm clock conversion. You remember Paul on the road to Damascus? Bang! Jesus encountered him and he suddenly realized Jesus was God. Maybe you had an alarm clock conversion. You can remember the moment, the time when you became aware of God. But, but have you ever woken up in the morning without an alarm clock? I'm sure you have, where you just kind of find yourself awake. Some of us come to faith like that. You just kind of find yourself believing in God. And so God's not far from anybody. Our job is just to help them wake up to the fact that God's real and he loves them. We don't have to force that. We just want to join the work that God's doing already in people's lives. And the same gospel may be applied differently to different people based on their needs and what's happening in their world. As Paul finished his speech in Mars Hill, there were three responses. Some of them sneered. Some of them mocked and said, that's crazy. Some people said, we want to hear a little bit more. Can we talk again tomorrow? And others believed and put their faith in Jesus. Have you noticed that that's kind of a a bit of a range of what happens today? When people hear about your faith in Jesus, some mock, some laugh, still happens today. Some say, I want to know a little bit more. Others put their trust in Jesus. Our job is simply to be in our Mars Hill, in our marketplace moment, endeavoring to realize God's there and I want to join with him in that place. Everyone said amen. And I want to just pause right now and just, just pray about that. Father, I, I pray for all of us today. Some of us this week are going to be going out to uh, the business world. Others are going to be at home in a neighborhood somewhere. Some are going to school on Monday, a university. We're all going to different places as we leave church or the synagogue this weekend. I pray today that we would see it's not just the synagogue, it's not just church that's sacred. All of life is sacred. And I pray that as we go, maybe we don't need a new job. Maybe we just need to see our job with new eyes. That as we go about our work, you are there. That we work to glorify you, Lord God. Father, that we would serve people through our products and services and, and see that as a way of loving our neighbor. Lord God, that we would see it as a way for us to use our gifts and to do something meaningful for our life. Lord, we pray for that today and as well as the the money that it provides. And so uh, I pray for some that maybe become a little bit workaholic, that you would just challenge them. What changes do they need to make? But for all of us, we'd go about our work in a way that would please you. We'd be diligent. We'd be people of integrity. We'd be loving people. And Lord, as those opportunities come along, just like Paul, we'd be, be ready to give a reason for the faith that we have. We pray for many, many people to come to know you. Bless us in our Mars Hill. Bless us in our marketplace. 
I pray in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. 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 You know, we have a a heap of incredible business people in our church, and uh, I I really enjoy interacting with them. They face some unique challenges. I lead a business life group, a bunch of guys that have their own businesses or are involved in the business world, and it it can be really, really challenging. Easy to talk about it here in the synagogue. You know, industries changing, marketplaces changing, living out your faith, trying to be a person of integrity, working with staff, all those kinds of things. And so uh, today I've invited one of them, good friend, uh, to come. And I want to talk a little bit about this whole area of marketplace. And so I wonder if you'd give John Sikama a good welcome to the stage with me today. Come on, John. Welcome, John. Thanks, Mike. I met uh, John and his lovely wife Sue many years ago. In fact, probably when you were still living in Tasmania overseas. How long did you live in Tasmania, John? Uh, my parents uh, migrated there when I was five, yeah. and um, so lived there a fair, fair bit of my yeah. life, especially uh, my young life until you know early twenties. Yeah. And, and then you saw the light, came to Melbourne. That's it. Yep, yep. <laughs> How long have you been in Melbourne now? Well, we, we've moved backwards and forwards a bit a few times. Couldn't uh, make up your mind. Yeah. Couldn't make up our mind. So we had the pool of family back there, but yeah. like the the, um, the opportunities in business that actually existed <laughs> yeah. um, in, in Melbourne and so forth. So uh, That's great. Yeah. So, so John and Sue, part of our church community. John, I remember first meeting you and... Uh, hearing great comments from other people in your year just about how successful you've been in business. And uh, I guess as I met you, obviously a really intelligent person who's good at what he does, but uh, I always sensed uh, a kind of a heart for God, a heart for the kingdom. You were one of these classic kind of kingdom business people who, you know, uh, you come to the synagogue, but, but you, you love the marketplace, you're excited about it, and you really believe God's at work there. Um, it sounds like you weren't always like that. So maybe just take a couple of minutes to paint a bit of picture of your first half of your business life, just, just for us here today. Okay. Um, yeah, well, I'd have to say that um, coming from a business family, but my, my grandparents on both sides of the family in Europe were in business, and my parents used to talk about, I joke a little bit over breakfast, lunch, and dinner, about client service and so forth. Um, so it was probably pretty natural that I had an interest in business, and it was my dream to run my own business. And Probably when I was about 13, 14, I was uh, catting on a golf course across the road or looking for golf balls, and um, I'd do a paper round. In those days, everyone had a paper delivered to their <laughs> front door, and I was one of those people up at 5.30 diligently doing that and uh, do an evening on Saturday night. And during the school holidays, I'd be fruit picking. So you'd probably say at 14, I was financially fairly self-sufficient um, in what I needed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, um, and... Um, so to go into business, I went into my own business, probably started at 23, mm. um, on a full-time commission sales type role. Uh, so I had the freedom of being my own boss, which uh, appeals uh, to most people. And um, I, I learnt to sell, um, which is a probably survival streak, but I, I was motivated to sell. And I did very well at it, and um, I can remember when I was 26, I earned... Um, there was 300 people in the sales group that I was working here in Melbourne, in uh, Collins Street, and I became, the last year I was there, I was the top salesperson. So, um, so I had a level of success, and then we moved back to Tassie for, for our children to grow up near grandparents, and uh, so I started the business over there, and that also worked pretty well, and it became a national business, and we employed a couple of hundred people in financial planning and funds management. So I was fairly success-driven, um, and, uh, yeah, now that was, you know, my driver. So in, in a sense, 
I was I was on that path. Yeah. You think you're a workaholic in those days? I should uh, ask Sue actually. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I think uh, definitely uh, yeah. yes to that one, yeah. Mark. Yeah, in, in a sense. Uh, a workaholic is a bit like an alcoholic, I think. Um, you're only one drink away from be- becoming an alcoholic again. So yeah. I, I, it's something I've got to work at. Yeah. 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 Now, John, you've written a, a great book about your story. It's called Enriched, uh, Redefining Wealth. And uh, in your book, uh, somewhere in the middle, there's a whole chapter called The Wake-Up Call. Yes. So you're this uh, pretty high-powered, pretty high-successful business person climbing the ladder of success, looking pretty good, uh, you know, dreams coming together. And, and mm. then you had a wake-up call. You, you want to just tell us a little bit about what, what, what was leading up to that and what, yeah. what was the wake-up call? Well, the wake-up call was um, I used to live in Hobart and uh, one, one day a week I used to drive to Launceston, which was a bit over a two-hour drive. And I used to leave home at 6 o'clock on Friday morning and arrive there about 8.30. And um, I used to do that. In a sense, because I did it every week, you tend to be in a bit of a trance sometimes. Your mind's thinking about all sorts of other things. And one week, um, I came round a, a slight bend in the road, and to my horror, as I got round the road, round the corner, they'd actually moved the road. And so that was, uh, I'm heading straight for a truck. And so I somehow must have closed my eyes, swung the steering wheel around, and I bounced off the side of the truck. And um, I'm 50 metres up the road, and I thought, how come I'm not dead? And um, I had this overwhelming uh, sense of uh, not one guardian angel, but a number of them uh, actually assisted me. And I thought, God has saved me for something greater. And it was a massive wake-up call because I realised my my life was really... That was symptomatic of my life that was out of control. And uh, one of the things uh, that, uh, you know, I have to admit there was that um, our, our daughter, Renee, um, she, she ran away for three days and it was because of a conflict between her and I. And um, that sort of shook me to the core. Yeah. And also um, the business was losing at that stage, around about that period, losing 30K a month. So there were a lot of cracks appealing, yeah. uh, appearing, and my life was looking. And on, to top that off, um, and, and I, I tended to suffer from migraine headaches at that stage because uh, of stress and pressure. We'd borrowed a lot of money to grow the business. And, um, and also one day Sue um, surprised me when she said, John, you're not the fun guy that I married. In fact, life's getting very boring with you, and it's to the point um, that... Um, uh, look, I want out. I, I can't cope with this. You're a workaholic or you're sick with migraine headaches and either you change or wow. this has got to... That's a wake-up call. And that was a wake-up call. So, yeah. you know, I'm taking off, you know, marched off to marriage counselling and some of these things which I thought, yeah. you know, what's wrong with this lady? You know, I mean, she's got a nice house. The <laughs> kids get, are at private school. Fixed, huh? yeah. Yeah. So a number of things coming together just to wake you up from a marketplace commitment that started out with good motivations but yep. pretty much taking over your life and now the very thing you're pursuing is doing damage in your life. So, so, so yep. what, what was different after that? You obviously had to make some tough decisions. Yeah, well, I started searching, but the difficulty is if you're a type A person and you're competitive, you don't want to quit. So somehow I just thought, well, you just keep, keep at it and something will happen. And, um, and so I was searching and I did pray to God, heal me of my headaches, Lord, and I'll do things for you. But uh, nothing happened. Um, then uh, one day I heard a talk that changed my life. Um, it was a bikey guy uh, preaching and um, 
And he talked about if he could find 100 business people to give him a million dollars each, we could change this nation. And my heart leapt and I thought, I'm one of those people. Temporarily, I forgot all my problems. And I thought, <laughs> yeah, I'd love to do that. And then I realised it unearthed a dream that when I was 14 walking on the golf course looking for golf balls, one day I had this overwhelming sensation that the world's a very harsh place. I'm going to make as much money as I can and when I grow up and I'm about 50 and my kids are grown up and I've paid off the house, I want to commit my life to making the world a better place because why am I so blessed? I've got yeah. parents, I've got a home, I've got a job, I've got money. And, um, but when he said that, that unearthed something in me. And not long after that, I virtually heard an audible voice saying, John, I did not create you for your success. Mm. I created you for others to succeed. And if you do that, you'll be truly successful. Wow. And this was so clear. And, wow. and so the lights came on. It was a head-heart experience. It was just a, an amazing revelation that gave me so much energy. Rather than being convicted of my sin, I thought... I've just been really silly and mm. I've been doing everything back to front. Mm. And um, so immediately, um, all these ideas, I felt the Holy Spirit just downloaded mm. into my mind. I thought, I've got to race home and write these down before <laughs> I forget, because often you have a good idea and you forget. So I was home within an hour, shut the study door, wrote them all down, didn't show my wife because I, f I put them in a drawer because I thought she might think there are a few sweet nothings. I've heard this before, John. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, promises, so, promises. Yeah. Yeah. So then I embarked on, on acting on those and... Um, that became a defining mm. moment in my life mm. and uh, was, was really uh, powerful. And one of, the th one of the prayers that I said then, which was quite emotional, um, was I had built up all these treasures mm. in, on earth that were all going to go to moth and dust. Mm. I thought, I've spent 20 years making money and building. That's all going to go to moth and, and rust. Mm. And I, my prayer to God was, God, please give me another 20 years mm. so I can store up treasures in heaven yeah. and, and help others Fantastic. rather than focus on myself. Fantastic. So yeah. that was quite a, a powerful... Very profound. Um, and use the creativity that God had given me to make money and employ yeah. people in business. And I thought, and use that for the kingdom rather than... Yeah. And so that became a, like a deal I made with God in a sense. Yeah. I, I still remember now mm. saying... I. If I can do that with a business, what can mm. I do about sharing my faith in the workplace? Because which up until then had been pretty non-existent. Unpack that a little bit. So in the early days, you would have considered yourself a Christian, but faith was kind of private and probably left for the synagogue uh, yep. once a week. And so now faith, since that wake-up call, been more a part of what yep. you do. So talk a bit about that. Yeah, I, th I think I'm typically male in the sense that um, I'm able to compartmentise things. And so it was like a ball in the air was my faith, but my job and career and some of these other things were higher. So I always had an excuse why I didn't share my faith in the marketplace. I think it was fear of rejection. Maybe my faith wasn't really fully developed. Yep. I, I think that was true. I think to a, to a degree, when I came to faith, it was a bit like an insurance policy. I believe in God. <laughs> I trust God. I'm going to make. I'm going to accept Jesus Heaven as my saviour. Yeah, yeah. Oh, but what am I actually going to do? And I think once I had that defining moment, mm. it changed everything. And I, I thought, wow, I, I, I got involved in a local Christian school and a church because part of the 13 things I wrote down was to um, help my wife be who God created her to be, mm. rather than help change, try and change her to suit my success. Right. And the same with. Um, with, with other things mm. that, that happened at that point. That's, so. right. That's awesome. Uh, talking in our last few minutes about, about halftime, I actually read this book by Bob Buford uh, probably back when I was about 45, which was mm. uh, not long ago. Um, <laughs> and in this book, he uses this concept that, you know, 100 years ago, uh, 
people often only live till 45, 50, where in yeah. our generation, uh, people are living into their 80s and 90s. My dad's 88. Yeah. And so his point is that 45, 50, you've probably had 30 years of work life, and a lot mm. of people focus on success, yeah. whatever that looks like. Yeah. But you could have another 30 years, 50 to 80, of work or contribution plus. And so the concept is to take a half time and, and do what? Um, yeah, well, the whole thing that, that uh, I think our culture, unfortunately, is once you're over 50, don't tell anybody your age, don't put it on your CV. Yeah. Um, and our culture is a very young culture. Work youth. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So half-time is really about saying... Um, Ephesians 2, verse 10 says, um, before you were born, mm-hmm. God prepared good works in advance for us to do. Now, if you actually believe that and really think about it, um, it's in a sense that God's got a job description bef- for each of us before we were born, but he doesn't actually, it doesn't come with your birth certificate or when you leave the hospital. Mm. Um, we've got to sort of work it out ourselves, but it's not dissimilar to when you go and work for a boss, you get a job description at the end of the year or when you review, if you've mm. done all the things, well done, congratulations, great, you've got a pay rise. And in a sense, I feel many Christians, what we feel, aren't clear on what their purpose is, what God's called them to do. They're not mm. clear on their calling. And unfortunately, if we talk about secular, and I think we, th- there's, there's a bit of an issue there where we, we get caught up in um, um, retirement, mm. which biblically, you know, I think a few Levi priests, but, you know, challenge anyone, look in the New Testament about retirement. Yeah. Um, so what we, we're about with half time is, is getting past this... Um, you can know your Bible in quite a lot of Bible verses, but you are no longer taking steps of faith. Mm. You're believing the noise, oh, you might risk you lose something or whatever. And so we have a sense that well, we're trying to encourage people to take, I mean, what is taking a step of faith? It's actually not putting the trust in yourself, you're putting the mm. trust in God. So I think we tend as Christians as well to be politically correct and want everything squared off. Mm. And, all, and we talk about all the ducks lined up, then we'll do it. Now, if you live with fear, which I believe a lot of uh, unchurched people do because mm. they don't have a trust in Jesus, yeah. we shouldn't be like that. That's right. So half-time is, around, is about finishing well and making the second half of your life better than the That's first. So, so excellent book. Um, Michael Magia and Marion, another business couple in our church. So there's a few of you that are running some half-time roundtables. We're looking at maybe a life practice course or some life groups. So who would be the kind of person that you would say, say drop back by the table today? Who would this half-time suit? Well, to a degree, it suits everybody. I mean, I think we all should be interested in what what we're here for. Um, but particularly half-time has focused on business people in the marketplace. So we tend to, to work with people who are in a, a leadership role or a management role or people who own, own their own business and help them... Like, a lot of people have a business plan, mm. but they don't have a plan for their life. Right, so we, yeah. we focus on that. And if we... At the end of the day, um, if we're all looking at being clear about Ephesians 2 calling, we've also got a, a, uh, looking at a life tracks course that Delta's keen to run. So if you come to the church, um, at the back of the church after the service, yep. you, can in, you can register and say, yes, I would like to do the life tracks uh, course when that starts. It's a, a six, uh, one and a half hour sessions, um, which maybe starts in October. With half time, um, we're running info sessions, one in the CBD, um, Friday uh, week okay. and one in uh, Glen Waverley um, on Thursday week. So the idea is a free information session where you can come 
and find out more about what Halftime offers. And the main program which we've run in Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne, Canberra, uh, Melbourne, Perth, is about um, half a day a month for 12 months, uh, called a round table program. There's a number of people in the church here have already been through it and seen amazing okay. progress in Good. that. Awesome. John, I might get you to pray just for our business people today. There's a lot of people here that run businesses or involved in the business world, and I'd love you to pray for them, and then I'm going to pray about halftime, and then we'll, we'll mention a couple more things about the resource. So how about we do that now? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Oh, Thank dear, you, Lord. Yeah, dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we just want to pause for a few moments and um, yeah, just reflect on... on um, how you're interested in each one of our lives mm. and um, particularly those Lord uh, that I'd like to pray for this morning who are in a business who maybe are feeling lonely, mm. maybe misunderstood, yeah. uh, maybe finding uh, things very difficult because they've got tough decisions to make uh, in relation to staff or they might not be able to grow the business, um, they might have difficulty with um, uh, yeah, getting into new markets. Mm, mm, um, they're wondering mm. if they should get out of business. Mm. Um, Lord, I just pray particularly for business people here this morning and uh, that people will have a sense to know that they're actually involved in ministry, yeah. that, that actually your business is a way you can mm. reach those people that maybe won't come to a church on Sunday. Mm. And if you can use your business as a way to, to uh, share your faith in in, the, in actions and in deeds. So I just pray particularly for anyone here, Lord, that um, is, is particularly hurting. Uh, it's maybe causing stress at home. They maybe can't pour, pay their bills. Maybe the bank's not being helpful. Mm. Lord, whatever it is that's causing um, mm. that blockage or that problem, mm. Lord, I just pray for, for those individuals yes, that Lord. they will have yes, a sense Lord. of your love. They'll have a sense that you really care about them and that you want them to succeed. And I just pray, Lord, that you'll open new doors mm. for them. Mm. I pray, Lord, that they will get a new vision for what they're doing, that you'll bring yes. new people into their lives that mm. will help them uh, through this tough period yes, that Lord. exists. Yes, Lord. Uh, we all need... It's very hard to do anything on our own, Lord, mm. and we need uh, mentors, we mm. need coaches, we mm. need business partners, but above all, Lord, we need you. Yeah. We need your spirit to speak into yes, our God. hearts and yes, minds God. and to encourage us. So yes, I just pray God. this... This morning, Lord, yeah. for your your love to touch those who who are, who are challenged and, and finding mm. it tough, and that you'll mm. do new amazing things, Lord, for yes, them Lord. in Jesus' yes, name. Lord. Amen. Everyone said Amen. Hey, would you thank John for sharing a bit of his story today? Thank you, John. Thank you so much. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. For more information, visit markconnor.com.au.